That's a beautiful song and the thoughts that are in it. Heaven stretched to contain you. I thought about that as I had opportunity to, to view the Himalayan range uh, as we were traveling to Nepal uh, this past week. And just to know that as grand as that was, the heavens are stretching to contain God. And, they, and it utterly fails. Uh, it's just a, a great thought. We have uh, we appreciate so much your prayers for us as we've uh, had a very busy week uh, last Last Sunday, uh, I guess it'd, uh, it'd be Sunday night over there right now. But we were we started our conference, and it was a, a wondrous thing to to experience. They uh, in a room like this, they would all be sitting uh, on the floor. They, they wouldn't have pews because you can hold a lot more folks uh, when you don't have pews. And they're sitting there, and they they sit there for about eight hours, or close to eight hours. Uh, you know, about between three of us preaching, uh, we're taking different turns. And they're sitting there taking notes, and the entire time they do this for about three days. Uh, so we preached, I guess I preached about six times there. Uh, it's just amazing to, to, to hear and see their, uh, their excitement for the Lord and the things of the Word. And, and so these, these are church planners and church leaders from, uh, area of Nepal. We just, we pray for them. I tell you, I, I got to hear them pray for us. Uh, one of the times that blessed my heart was to hear a, a group of, uh, Orphan children that uh, some of you are helping support by supporting Alpha International Ministries. And uh, they just came together and prayed for us. I, I just uh, blessed my heart so much to hear uh, how these people in Nepal uh, are praying for you, praying for our church. And so that's, uh, I just uh, send good words uh, from them to you uh, and our experience there with them. We, uh, we found ourselves uh, Friday, September 11th uh, in New York. Uh, there in the airport. I don't know what thoughts you might have had on September 11th. Uh, it's impossible, I believe, for those who experienced the events of 2001 to not think about that date uh, as the anniversary rolls around. And I found it especially poignant to me this year as uh, we rolled into the airport about six in the morning, uh, the JFK airport in New York and just imagining what life was like uh, eight years ago as people were hustling and bustling and, and getting to their, their places, their destinations at, at that time. And, and as we boarded onto the airplane around 8.30 and uh, taken off and knowing good and well that around 9 o'clock we were in the exact uh, vicinity of where some of these airplanes were eight years ago as they were being hijacked and and thrown and are driven into the towers and the Pentagon. And uh, that, just being in that place at that time, uh, just made it even more powerful to me. And I, I couldn't help but thinking as I was sitting in the, the air, uh, airline, the airplane in the seat, what individuals like Todd Beamer, they had read books uh, about him, his, his biography and others, how when they were hijacked and how they uh, evidently, uh, rallied together against the hijackers uh, to uh, put their lives at stake to prevent further destruction and disaster that could have resulted. And I couldn't help but think about what must have been going in their mind as they're sitting in their seats and looking at one another and trying to plot. And, and as that line, as we, we know, the, the phrase, let's roll, uh, came out. And, and what the firefighters were thinking. As they were escaping the buildings, but then coming back into the burning buildings to rescue those that were there. And the building collapses on top of them. 
it, the thought is, as we look back at that date, is that there are some things more valuable than our own life. And what 9-11, one of the thoughts that come out of that is that human life itself is worth laying down your life for. The protection of people perhaps maybe you don't even know. That you will lay it down because you believe that life is important. As we begin the study of Hebrews, Hebrews is teaching us something similar. Is that there are some things more important. That there are some things that's worth laying down your life for. There are some things worth going into burning buildings for. And the book of Hebrews is presenting to us that Christ, his gospel, is one such thing that is worth laying your life down for. In fact, as you read the Bible in the Old Testament, you see story after story of if you, of individuals going into their burning buildings, if you will, of, of the Davids going into Goliath's field, the burning building, putting his life at stake for what he believes about God. You have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego literally willing to go into the fire and worship of their God, that that was something more important to them and they would go into their burning bridges, uh, their burning buildings for. That you have the, the story of Elijah uh, confronting the Baal prophets in, on Mount Carmel, putting his life online, going into the building building, the burning building in worship of his God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells of, of one story after another like that. And, but the overall message is that there is someone worth going into a burning building for. And it's Christ. I've had the opportunity and privilege, the great honor, to meet individuals who went into burning buildings, so to speak, for Christ. I've been able to see people and past trips to India where they showed me their back, where they were beaten for the Christ. I've been able to go to these conferences and teach these people and find out later on that one of them was... Uh, Grossly slaughtered for the gospel's sake. And I wonder as I'm sitting here. Is there anyone here that will one day go into their burning buildings for the sake of Christ? Is there someone, something so important worth doing that for? And Hebrews is saying, yes, there is a Christ There is a gospel and there are some things worth enduring all manner of persecution for. Do not fall away from Christ. And so what I'd like to do is introduce to you the book. All right. So let's just go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter one and uh, just get the the main details down. And in a a will, in a way, what I really pray for, what I am working toward is that you will walk away this morning with a prayer in your heart. Okay, that you will walk away with a prayer in your heart that God would reveal to you a greater vision of Christ. So much so that you will see him as greater than every competing thought and idea in person out there. If I could, if I could so somehow make it so you will be praying that. 
then that's success here. All right. And so I'm not going to give you uh, go through verse by verse. We're going to start with that next week. But I just want to give you some basis. So if you take your sheet out, the note sheet, and you can start writing down some little details uh, about this book called Hebrews. The first thing you need to know uh, as you look at the title, some of your letters or your books will say the letter to the Hebrews. And that is a good general assumption about this. But what you need to know is that uh, that introduction, that title doesn't seem to be uh, in the uh, original text of this book. Uh, it was something that was pinned to this book later on uh, because of the content of the letter itself. OK, that uh, as people read this letter, they thought, you know, this is making a lot of Old Testament references and based on a lot of Old Testament ideas. These folks have to be familiar with the Old Testament. They must be Hebrews. They must be Jews. This must be a letter to the Hebrews. All right. So that's how this this title came to be. Yeah. And it does. Uh, seem to be based on some pretty good assumptions uh, that the readers of this book really were familiar with the Jewish way of doing things and the Old Testament itself. Uh, Now, as you will note, as you look at verse 1, there is nowhere mentioned in the first chapter, or or for that matter, anywhere in the book, an indication of who wrote the book. You'll see this in other books in the, the New Testament of of whether it's the book of Philippians and others will state that Paul, I, Paul, wrote this letter. Uh, there is no mention of that whatsoever. Uh, and folks uh, from the very early periods, the early church, would have recognized that Paul would have been the author, uh, would have uh, thought that, uh, and assumed that, though there is no internal evidence in the Word of God that Paul wrote the letter. Okay, uh, So what would I tell you today is that no one really knows. Who wrote this letter? There are various theories as to who wrote it. Uh, some say that Clement or Luke or Apollos or even uh, uh, Aquila uh, or some of these, uh, Barnabas perhaps may have wrote these, this book and it could possibly be. But the point of the matter was is the writer didn't want us to know. He didn't tell us. As well, you'll find that the book of Hebrews is every chapter is filled with citations of Old Testament scripture. But the author never regards or writes the source of that Old Testament scripture. He never says that a name of the Old Testament writer. It seems to be that the writer had something uh, very intentional in mind and that he did not want this to be something uh, where it's colored by who wrote it. But that you would read it for what it is as a message of God to mankind. And so just need to know that, that there is no real indication of who wrote this book. Now, who was this book written to? All right. You just guys bear with me. All right. I know this is a lot of details and stuff, but it's important for you to know this as as we study this. I'm shooting for you guys to be here, not just today, but several weeks to get the message of what this this letter is about. Uh, and so uh, what we know about the audience, OK, well, we know that these folks are, are dealing with strange teachings, according to chapter 13, verse 9. They're dealing with strange teachings. Uh, he's given them instructions to persevere in the faith uh, because evidently they were uh, being tempted to go back from Christ to the Old Testament system. You see this given in chapters 3 through 10. Uh, and so we, we understand this. Uh, we know a little bit about the author in that uh, there is evidently a personal relationship between him and Timothy. Uh, we see this in, in chapter 13, uh, verse 23, that there's a mutual friend. So it gives us little ideas when this was written in Timothy's lifetime. We also know that this was probably before 70 A.D. Now, the reason that is, 
is because in 70, the Jerusalem temple was utterly destroyed, the whole city. But yet this letter in chapter 10 makes reference of personal, of present, of uh, present sacrifices taking place. And then one of the arguments of the book is that Christ is better than the sacrificial system. If the temple had been destroyed, it seemed like he would have mentioned that. The temple is destroyed, so you can't do this anyway. And so we can, based on that, understand that this was written before 70 AD, but yet we also know, uh, according to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that the author was not an eyewitness of the life of Jesus Christ, but instead that he heard these things. All right? So this puts it somewhere, perhaps maybe in the 60s AD, as to when this book was written. All right? So you can understand that somewhere between 60 to 70 AD is when this book was written based on Timothy's life. The, temp- the temple had not yet been destroyed, yet they're not eyewitnesses of, of the times of Jesus. All right? Uh, now, that's the details. All right? What are the, th- what are the themes? The overarching theme of the book of Hebrews is that Christ is better. All right? <laughs> Very simple. And I don't have an object in that sentence. I have a subject. Christ is better. There is no object. Why? Because it doesn't matter what the object is. Christ is better than it. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than than Elijah. Uh, That is the theme that you find throughout. And so it doesn't matter what you put out. The book of Hebrews is saying that Christ is superior. He is better. Therefore, persevere. Okay? Christ is better... Therefore, persevere. Now, the people of uh, that day were tempted to go back to the Old Testament system. We're tempted to do other things. We're tempted to love things more than Christ. We're tempted to love family more than Christ. Uh, We are tempted to be religious more than loving God. Uh, these are temptations that come in our way. And I want us, as we begin the loving out loud, as we really start the kickoff uh, later on in October and, and praying for this, uh, we want to make sure that Christ is our focus. That as we are sharing the gospel by our example, by our love along the streets up and down Hodge Road, that Christ is supreme in our life because it will not work unless Christ is the overarching theme of our life. Now, those of you who have been with us the last four years, you've heard me teach on the book of Matthew. The lesson there is that Jesus is king of kings. You've heard us talk now on the book of Genesis, where the foundation is laid for the problem of mankind, as well as God's intention for man, as well as God's plan for Redeemer. Now, the reason we're studying the book of Hebrews is because Hebrews acts as a great bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right? Now... Let's look at this theme. We've got the overarching theme. Christ is better, therefore persevere. All right. Now, there are several sub-themes that you'll find throughout this book. And I just want to introduce some of these sub-themes to you uh, so you're familiar with it. I already mentioned that it is, uh, one of the themes is the connection of the Old Testament to the New Testament. You'll find that every chapter is permeated with Old Testament references. There are uh, 35 quotations of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 34 allusions to the work of the Old Testament. It is filled without it, within it, okay? Now, what else is there about the book of Hebrews? The uh, the book of Hebrews already uh, mentioned, argues the superiority of Christ, that Christ is better uh, than anything else. And then he goes on and tells us about the word of God. That's another theme of the book of Hebrews is is the word of God. Now, why is this important? 
It, I believe that the book of Hebrews is giving us tools to help us persevere. All right. It's giving us tools to help us persevere. And persevering is important because it marks those who are believers. A lot of times the book of Hebrews is kind of avoided. Just to be honest with you, because there are some chapters in there that are hard to understand. There are some chapters that make you think, well, if I'm a believer, does that mean I can lose my salvation? And then there are some references that great, uh, great passages of security and salvation. That once I'm, I'm a believer in Christ, then I will never lose my salvation. And so a lot of times us who are involved in explaining scripture, we just kind of shy away from this passage. Because honestly, it's hard to understand and much even uh, much harder to explain. But nonetheless, here I am. Here I'm rolling. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see. See how this goes. Uh, but here's a good metaphor, all right, to help you understand what the book of Hebrews is about. Uh, let me just kind of do it in, in terms of a, a trip, a mission trip, since that's fresh in my mind. Uh, when you go on a mission trip and you go overseas, there are two predominant forces at work. The first force is the task of the mission trip, the, the sake of the gospel, the purposes for which you signed up. And that purpose of, of doing the work of the mission, the specific task, it carries you away from your home, away from your family, onto the plane, all through the various adversities and difficulties to the trip itself, to the task itself. Somewhere along the way, the force that drives you changes. Maybe about the third or fourth day, it's no longer the task itself that's your predominant drive. You know what the, the, the second force is? I'm ready to go home. All right, I, I'm ready to go home. All right, all right, and so that becomes your your focus, and it drives you to endure various things. Uh, I, I'm going to give you the some of the non glamorous parts of going on a mission trip. Uh, you know, when you're when you're in a, a situation overseas, you you got to be careful what you eat and what you drink. Yeah, you don't eat certain foods because you know it'll mess you up. You don't want to get messed up because you want to. Go home. All right. Uh, when it comes down to the water, it needs to be certain water. Uh, it, it needs to be a, a mineral water and it needs to be in a, in a bottle that's sealed. Because if it's not sealed, someone could be ripping you off and giving you the water of that land and you'll be messed up and you won't be able to go home. Uh, and so you become very careful about things like that. Uh, you're constantly surrounded by people. You don't understand a word they're saying. And they don't understand much of what you're saying. But you deal with it. And then when it comes time to uh, the actual date to leave, to go on the airplane, you don't tell yourself, you know what, I kind of enjoy this place. There's some beautiful things here, some beautiful sights. I, I think I'm going to stay around here. I'm not going to get on that plane. Why? Because you have a home. And you're going to be willing to forego the delights and things that you're seeing of this land in order to go home. Now I was with the team. And some good memories. Some good thoughts. Some good laughter and fun that we had. And we worked well together. But those people were not my family. And there were shadows. That pointed to the laughter and joy. That I could have with my family. So there's going to be a point where I'll be saying. It's been good guys. But it's time to go. I'm going to my family. I'm going to my home. And so you'll get on that airplane. And uh you know, there may be an airstrike, uh, a flight of pilots striking. And then you say, well, you know what? <laughs> I don't care. 
You put me on whatever flight you want, just as long as it leads home. You can put me on a train as long as it takes me to an airplane, somewhere where I can go home. Let me find a way to go home. Oh, I'm going to have to spend uh, spend some time in uh, New Delhi Airport uh, in, in the middle of the night. That's fine with me. Let me just hang out there at 1230 in the morning and listen to uh, the folks argue with one another. Uh, they'll, they'll have your bags there and they'll have your and they say, you know what? You get on the airplane and we'll just you just leave your bags here and you're OK with that. <laughs> Because you realize that somewhere along the way, it's more important that you get on that plane than whether your bags stay there and say, you say, Sananara, bag, goodbye. You may be there, you may not, but it's okay as long as I'm on that plane to go home. And you get on that plane, something called Air India, which really means India in the air. And so you deal with that airplane, you're on there maybe 15 hours. And you try to find somewhere to sleep and you're cramped and, and you got all kinds of uh, smells and uh, foods coming at you. And you think, you know what? It's all good because I'm going home. Okay? And you get out and your head uh, has got all kinds of pressure going on. And you feel like you're in a telephone booth for two days because you can't hear a thing. <laughs> you know? And it's okay because you're going home. You're going home. You see... If anywhere along the way of these adversities that come at you, you say, that's too tough. I don't want to be on Air India. That's just, you know, I don't want to be on a 15-hour flight. I, I don't think so. I'll just stay here rather than get on that 15-hour flight. What does that tell you? That tells you that Nightdale must not be my home. Because if it was my home... I would have endured all manner of adversities to get home. And if anywhere along the way I stop and say, no, I'm going to stay right here, then I've made India or I've made Nepal my home. Now, what the book of Hebrews is saying is this. Christ is to be your home. He is to be the one that you long for. He is to be the one that you find your rest in. He is the one that your salvation, forgiveness, and relationship with God is found. And the mark of being a believer in Jesus Christ is not saying that you bear this label called Christian, but in your heart, in your mind, you are very intentional and driving yourself to pursue Christ and seek after him. And that's because he is home. He is the most valuable one. And if anywhere along the way you say, you know what? I don't want to pursue Christ because this is too difficult. It's too tough. I don't want that. Let me just stay right here in this state of my life and enjoy these activities and these desires rather than pursuing Christ. We are saying to everyone, Christ is not my home. So therefore, you'll find throughout the book of Hebrews sober and serious warnings that say that if you do not persist on in following Christ then you are in danger. What are you in danger of? You're in danger of not being a follower of Christ, not falling into the the plan of salvation that satisfies the wrath of God for your sin, which means that you are vulnerable for the wrath of God in your life. And so the book of Hebrews is presenting this to us. Now, have this metaphor of going home, Christ is our home. There are some important tools to go home with. Like I said, I needed a good source of water, and I needed some good nutritional food bars with me, all right? Uh, you get fed all kinds of stuff. You don't know how it's going to work, so you need to make sure there's some food that you can count on. That was some tools that you needed to get there. 
You needed some uh, some buddies to come alongside of you in case uh, you fall sick and need someone to drag you to the airport. You know, uh, you have some buddies around with you uh, to help you with that. There's some tools that you need uh, as you're going home. Well, let me just share with you that the Hebrews is giving us some tools to go home with. All right. The first theme, uh, one of the themes that, that we've mentioned is that the word of God is important. The word of God is a tool to head toward the home called Christ. You find this as a theme throughout the book of Hebrews. Uh, you see this in, in the very beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You notice what it says here? That God has spoken long ago in various portions and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. The Son is the radiance of his glory, the representation of his essence. He sustains all things by his powerful word. So when he had accomplished cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfilling, fulfillment, the expression of God. You know, when I'm overseas, it's good to call home every once in a while. Just to hear how things are going. Well, what the book of Hebrews is saying is that if you want to keep your your heart headed toward Christ, your home, then it's good to hear from God every once in a while. And the book of Hebrews, as well as the scriptures here, is the word from God. You see this repeated in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, to pay close attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. In other words, you need the word of God. Do not neglect so great a salvation. You need the word of God. You see this in chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, so that we must make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow it is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart and no creature is hidden from God but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render account we need the word of God you know what I found out when I went to Nepal I found the word of God worked just as well over in Nepal as it does here people I don't know I don't know their background I don't know how they live their life I don't know what to eat I don't know their fears but it didn't matter because I had the word of God that spoke to their hearts it is our tool to help us to make Christ our home you see this repeated in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 through 14 the importance of staying in the word of God well That's one tool, a theme in the book of Hebrews to make Christ your home. Christ is better. Therefore, endure perseverance or endure persecution, persevere in the faith. We also find another theme, another theme in the book of Hebrews, a tool by which we live by. And that is to live by faith, to live by faith. You see this, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this this phrase of giving us practical examples of how we live by faith, uh, trusting in him. And then we see also in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, and t- 4 through 12, knowing to live by faith, but the importance of persevering by faith. Persevering by faith. Again, if any point in time I decided these difficulties are not worth the effort to go home, it is a mark that coming here wasn't home. And so that's what he's saying is that You must persevere. By definition of Christ being your home, you must persevere. By definition of what makes a believer a believer is that you follow after Christ, then you must persevere in following after Christ. 
You see this repeated in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 36. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 4. Enduring opposition that's set before you. Persevering by faith. And then one other tool that is a theme of the book of Hebrews is the need for one another. The need for one another. If you want to make Christ your home, if you want to follow after Christ, then somewhere along the way you need a Christian brother, you need a Christian sister to come alongside and be in that community to encourage you to love and to do good and to glorify God. You see this uh, theme especially in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Now these are just some themes. We're going to get into the details of this in the weeks to come. But I want you to know the overall message and how it relates uh, to the Bible itself and to you. Scripture makes very clear that the subject of the entire book is Jesus Christ. I tried to the best of my ability to show you in the book of Genesis how Christ is the theme. I want to do the same with the book of Hebrews. I want you to see Christ. Because if you can see Christ as your home, as better than any passion, any ideal, any dream, any person, you will endure and stay true to Christ. If in chapter 1, verse 2, if you can see Christ as the final word of God in these last days, then you'll have a good idea of Christ. If you go to chapter 1, verse 6 and 10 and see Christ as the creator of the heavens and earth, whom the very angels worship, you will have a good idea of how we are to worship Christ and see him for who he is. If in chapter 2, verse 10, you can see Christ as the pioneer of our salvation, who was made perfect through our suffering, then we can understand that Christ can understand all that we go through in suffering and know that he has led the way. In chapter 2, verse 14, if we can see Christ as the one who became flesh that he might die in our place and free us from the fear of death, we can be eternally thankful to this Christ. If we can see as we keep on reading in chapter 3, verse 5, that Christ is the one who is superior to Moses as a son is superior to a servant, we can see how the Old Testament is meant to glorify Christ. If we can keep on reading chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, and see Christ as a sympathetic high priest who opens up the way to the throne of grace, then we will not fail in praying to God and approaching the throne of grace for what Christ has done. In chapter 7, verse 25, if we can see Christ as the one who saves for all time those who draw near to God through him, we can be eternally thankful uh, for the Savior of ours. In chapter 8, verse 10 through 12, if you can see Christ as the mediator of a new blood-bought covenant that secures that our sins will be forgiven, that the law will be written in our hearts, and that God will be our God. We can find the security, the confidence of walking with God because of Christ. If we go to chapter 9, verse 14, and we can see Christ as the one who by his blood purifies our consciences from dead works to serve the living God, then we can be done away with guilty consciences and, and give them to Christ and know that Christ has freed us from that. In chapter uh, 9, verse 26, if we can see Christ as the one who put it in to all sacrifices by putting away sin once and for all through his sacrifice of himself, then we can see and free ourselves from a works-based salvation where we got to do better and be better. Maybe God will accept us for that. If we could go on and go to chapter 12, verse 2, and see Christ not only as the pioneer but the perfecter of our faith. 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of God until all his enemies are made a stool for his feet. We could perhaps see the grand vision of serving Jesus Christ and understanding it's okay to go through some troubles if we're following Christ. In chapter 13, verse 12, if we can see Christ as the one who suffered outside the gate, that he might sanctify the people by his own blood, then we will have no problem humbling our own selves and loving someone along Hodge Road, summing it in your neighborhood, knowing what Christ has done for us. And if chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, if we'll see Christ as the one who will never leave us or forsake us, but will help us forever, and by the power of an indestructible life, we can go through our burning buildings. Knowing that Christ is going with us. We saw some beautiful sights uh, in Nepal. Just the mountains were beautiful. You go up another layer of clouds. And then you see the Himalayan snow-capped mountains. Going up 20,000 feet up in the air. Just takes your breath away type of beauty. We saw the the beautiful believers of of Nepali in that area. The worship, the enthusiasm. uh, They have the type of music that you just don't hear, but you feel, you know. And uh, uh, their their desire to study and search the scriptures. And we saw some beautiful people there. But none of those things compared to when you go back home. And you see your wife. And you see your girls. And your little boy come running at you, smiling and jumping at you. And you realize, I saw some beautiful things. But they don't compare to home. What I just want to present to you is that in this world, you'll see some beautiful things. You'll experience some some wonderful desires and experiences. But please, please, don't fall short Don't settle for less. There is waiting for us a site called home. And if you will persevere and keep Christ as the focus of your life, church, if we can do this together, keep Christ as the focus of our life, there will be a day and time when we will see the beauty of home. Not something here in Nightdale and Raleigh, but something so far greater. So far better. Will you pray with me? Will you pray that God, as we study this book of Hebrews, will you help us see Christ for who you are? Not just some figure in a stained glass window. Not some picture in the hall of our mind. But help us to see Christ for who he is. And help us to have a heart for him. So that we will endure all manner of stuff. And know it's worth of all because we're headed home. Let's pray.